Hello, and welcome to Talking General Practice, the podcast from GP Online. I'm Emma Bauer, the editor of GP Online. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking to Dr. Gillian Oro, a GP from Surrey who co-founded a programme called Growing Health Together. I'm also talking to two of her local GP colleagues, Dr. Tabasam Siddiqui and Dr. Richard Wright, about how the initiative is helping general practice and other partners in the healthcare system to tackle health inequalities. Growing Health Together is based on the idea of health creation, and in this conversation we talk about what health creation is, some of the local schemes that Growing Health Together has helped to establish, and how this is all benefiting local people. Tabasam and Richard also explain how this work fits in with what their primary care networks are trying to achieve, and the value of GPs having funded time to spend in their local communities to help understand the challenges some of their patients face, and work out solutions that can help. Before we start, just to let you know that MIMS Learning Live is taking place in Liverpool on Wednesday the 29th of November. This free one-day event is organised by our colleagues on MIMS Learning. There'll be two clinical update streams providing CPD learning on topics including women's health, mental health, oncology, rheumatology and much more. You can register for your free place and find out more information, including the full programme, at mimslearninglive.com. I'm delighted to be joined now on the podcast by Dr. Gillian Oro, Dr. Tabasum Siddiqui and Dr. Richard Wright, who are all GPs in Surrey. They're here today to talk about a project called Growing Health Together, which is an initiative that's working with primary care networks across East Surrey to help improve health across the area. One of the key aims of Growing Health Together is to create a more sustainable health and care system by reducing demand in primary and secondary care through health creation, prevention and early intervention. So all three of you are GP leads for Growing Health Together for your local areas. But Gillian, you're one of the actual founders of Growing Health Together. Can you explain a bit about actually what it is and how you came up with the idea to start it? Yeah, thanks very much, Emma. So if I go back in time then, I remember sitting in my surgery in the village of Smallfield and I'd been there for several years at this point. And I kept hearing really similar themes that my patients were discussing with me. So people would be saying things like, I know my child wouldn't be obese if only I could afford fresh food and if only I knew how to cook it for them. Or I know I wouldn't be depressed if I wasn't so lonely, but I moved here five years ago and I don't know anybody. Or I'm really worried my child has got asthma because the air pollution around here is so bad. I was hearing similar things, you know, day on day, week by week, year on year. And I thought at one point, is it good enough for me just to be hearing about what's wrong and what's making people sick in the local area that then leads them to see me? Or do I actually have almost a moral responsibility to go out into the community and find other people who might be able to work alongside us in primary care to try and put some of these things right in order to create more health locally? It felt like quite a radical idea that I was just sort of toying with in my mind. But I'd actually come from an academic background at the University of Cambridge's Department of Primary Care and Institute of Public Health, where I'd been doing some research on prevention. So I had a bit of thinking about prevention before I was in Smallfield sitting as a GP. And I just thought we really need to implement all of the evidence that exists and put it into practice. And what better place to do it than the local area where I'm practicing? And having then discussed it with the senior partner of my practice, Dr. Michael Bosch, he kindly introduced me to the chief executive of our GP Federation, Alliance for Better Care. And then the rest was history, really. We had this ambition and then we suddenly had the means to be able to put something into practice. 
the, the whole idea that sort of underpins this is this idea of health creation. Now, if, if anyone's listening to this that doesn't really understand what health creation is, can you explain a, a little bit about it and how it can sort of help tackle health inequalities? The principle underlying Growing Health Together, we established through conversations with community members in our local area of Hawley Primary Care Network. And those conversations included patients, carers, citizens, head teachers, people from the council, charities, faith leaders and, and others. And what we realised that we wanted to do was to collaborate with one another to improve access to the conditions for health and well-being that we all need throughout our life course. As we started to try and put these things into practice, we learned about the concept of health creation and how it had been established as a movement over several decades, led by incredible people such as Hazel Stutely, OBE, who was a health visitor and did some pioneering work on a housing estate in Falmouth in Cornwall. And that work since been picked up by the Health Creation Alliance. The Health Creation Alliance defined health creation as the process through which individuals and communities gain a sense of purpose, hope, mastery and control over their own lives and immediate environment. And when that happens, their health and well-being is enhanced. But in essence, it's about, I think, sharing control and recognising the agency that everybody has to be able to improve not only their own health and well-being, but able to help shape and improve the health and well-being of their local community. And quite critical to health creation is around shifting power and control from the professional to those with real lived experience in their community. I read something about what you're doing, which said it was based on three key priorities, health, equity and sustainability. And I was wondering if you could explain how those three things fit together. Those missions really came from the initial conversations that we had in Hawley Primary Care Network in around 2019. We all knew that we wanted to improve health in the area because we could all see the manifestations of ill health in our different sectors. But we knew that if we just went out telling people to exercise more, eat better, stop smoking, etc., we were in danger of actually increasing health inequalities because the ease by which people can take up health promotion messages absolutely differs depending upon our income level, our means, our background and so on. So from the outset, we were all passionate about working to improve the health of everybody but taking, as Sir Michael Marmot describes it, proportionate universalist approach to our population health work so that those who'd been underserved in the past could experience the greatest improvements in their health and well-being. And then the third strand is around sustainability, recognising that so many of the actions that we need to take for the climate and ecological emergencies have tremendous co-benefits to human health. Or vice versa, if you think about what's good for human health, it's often very good for planetary health. So what exactly are you doing in East Surrey and how does us growing health together fit into what PCNs are being asked to do or trying to achieve? So we have five primary care networks in East Surrey and we have a Growing Health Together GP lead in each of the primary care networks who has a small amount of time each week or each fortnight to go and make connections with those people and places who are creating health in the geographical footprint of that PCN. And then we're asking them to integrate data insights that we have from population health management data 
with the qualitative insights that they are hearing from the various people that they are meeting in that area with a view to working out what's already strong locally that's supporting health and well-being outside of the system that we should be improving the visibility of so that more of our patients can benefit from it. And also hearing about where the gaps might be and what issues are impairing people's health locally. And then working with local partners to try to tackle whatever issues have been raised. But wherever possible, rather than us as professionals trying to go in and fix everything, which is the sort of typical approach that we're used to within the consulting room, we're actually trying to listen and support community members themselves to lead on solutions wherever possible, recognising that the work on health creation over the past two decades has shown that that true community-led health creation approach to communities solving their own problems can produce a very sustainable improvement in health inequalities that can be maintained over decades. Richard, if we come on to you now, you're the GP lead for Growing Health Together in North Tandridge. What sort of things are you doing in your area and how are you working with your local community? Thank you, Emma. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to be the lead for Growing Health Together and also spent four years as the clinical director for my primary care network in North Tandridge. And I think those two roles complemented each other quite well. As clinical director, I was able to get out for the first time in my 28-year GP career and actually spend more time interacting and working with the people in the community that I've served over that time. And that's been one of the real joys. And actually that sat very, very well with the Growing Health Together program and my lead role there. Because actually health creation is something I've always been really interested in. I just haven't really had the opportunity to be that involved until the Growing Health Together program started as soon as uh, I heard uh, the great work that Gillian was doing, along with Michael Bosch, another GP colleague. I was very keen to get involved. And we've been working closely with our wellbeing centre and community cafe in our locality, and actually with a broad range of local representatives from different charitable organisations and our local leisure centre, looking at how we can actually improve health and wellbeing generally through a whole range of initiatives. One of the things that's quite interesting about this project, isn't it, is that you actually have protected time to spend doing this. Is that right, away from the practice? And how does that work? Yes, absolutely. That's invaluable. And without that protected time, getting out into the community and and making all these connections just wouldn't be possible. So we've been incredibly well supported by our local ICS, Surrey Heartlands, and Gillian and the team have worked closely with them to help provide funding at a place level, actually. The deal really is that the PCN matches the, the funding that comes down to help give us that protected time so that our absence from the practice can be backfilled. And that's what's made a huge difference. So the fact that we've had that dedicated funding and the PCN has matched that funding to support our time has enabled this work to be done. So when you're going out and spending this time in the community, what is it you're actually trying to do? What is you're trying to put together to help support patients and people in your local area? Yeah, so a whole range of, of things, actually. Uh, I'll give a small example. Our community cafe, I was approached by the, the manager there who said um, that they had a local resident who was an expert in Tai Chi and who was aware that that was particularly good rhythmic movement and balance for patients with Parkinson's disease. 
So in my protected time, I was able to contact Parkinson's UK and also our local clinical nurse specialist, Fiona, who deals with our patient population with that condition. And we brought everything together and lo and behold, classes started in Tai Chi for patients with Parkinson's disease, which then became so popular that the class had to expand and in fact a second class had to be put on. That's just one small example. There are a whole range of initiatives. We have something called the Friday Night Project. We help to fund that for 11 to 16 year olds. There were some issues with antisocial behaviour, there were issues with young people not having anything to do. So this was sport and exercise based activity on a Friday night, all organised, no one allowed to sort of hang around and chat too much. When we launched this, we were expecting about 20 young people to come along on the first night and 98 turned up, which was uh, more than the capacity of the leisure centre, unfortunately. So some families had to be turned away. But that just shows the demand that's out there. Uh, Again, talking to the team there, a couple of young ladies who were almost dragged along by their parents saying, you know, why are you making us do this? And at the end of the three hour session, it was when can we come back? Just Two weeks ago, actually, 150 applicants for the Friday Night Project. It's huge, and it shows the the real need that's out there in our community for something sort of activity-based for young people. There are many others that I could go on about. Small things that start off small, but actually... Um, gain traction and and seem to really make a difference to people's lives that's the really enjoyable bit no that sounds great that yeah i mean has it changed how you practice as a gp at all has it changed the way you approach consultations in any way or think about things yes i think so without a doubt and i think signposting in areas that i would not have done before i was involved in growing health together being able to target interventions that i think would benefit that individual in front of me that's changed my practice significantly it sounds like there's quite a lot of benefits for patients but what are the benefits for practices as well that are involved with all of this one thing that i've certainly noticed is that some of the work we're doing for example you know we've encouraged our practices to have coffee mornings and our patient champions have been involved in setting those up and that attracts some of our generally older adults sometimes who are socially isolated sometimes who may have made appointments to see gps or practice nurses because that was a place to go and a point of contact. And I see those faces on a Wednesday morning in our practice, sitting down in our staff room, having coffee with our patient champions and great conversation going on. So I think one of the things that has happened is trying to reduce the need to over-medicalise and use other strategies and tactics to manage a situation that any one individual finds themselves in rather without the need for traditional conventional medicine. Tabson, can I bring you in now? So you're the GP lead for Growing Health Together in Merston. GP leads like yourself, you have protected time to go out and spend time in your communities to try and understand the issues and challenges that local people are facing. So how have you used that time? Um, What did you learn? We are very lucky in the in the sense that we've got a community hub right across the GP surgery and we've got community development officer who works here. We also have a social prescriber who was attached with the PCN and would come to the surgery as well. In addition to that, Merston being one of the most deprived areas of Surrey, we've always had one of the dedicated staff member, we call them patient liaison manager, who used to be in link with the 
voluntary organizations as well. So actually it helped a lot for us to, along with Gillian, to meet in the Muslim Community Hub, which was again a cafe which was funded by the MCFT charitable organization, where we sat together, talked about how we could work and collaborate in order to promote health and well-being of the local population. So we do have a food club and a food bank that runs in the Muslim Community Hub. The food club usually has some fresh produce from the allotment. And one of the problems that was raised by the community development officer was that, you know, people didn't know what to do with it, how to cook, how to make anything of those fresh produce that was there. So actually, the social prescriber, who was very keen on healthy eating and who knew a lot about cooking as well, agreed to come over once a week and actually teach people how to cook and how to make use of those vegetables. Similarly, we talked about actually reaching out into the community and finding out what they needed because it's all well and good sitting there in your rooms and offices and deciding for people. But actually, people who live in those communities would actually be better placed to tell us. And one of the most deprived wards of this most deprived place uh, was identified. And we thought that we would do a listening event. And we advertised it a lot. We invited the local housing, health visitor, people from community hub, volunteers, myself, the PCN coordinator. One of the things that one of the younger families pointed out was that they were really struggling with how to entertain the children. There were no mother and toddler groups in that area, amongst other things. So Actually, we thought about it, we brought it back, discussed with Gillian and a bit of the funding that we had from ABC about setting up a mother and toddler group in the hub. Then we got the funding to set it up once a fortnight. It had the maximum capacity of 30 children. And actually, we found that it was always oversubscribed. There were children coming in and we had to say, you know, we had capacity. So then we spoke again with Gillian and and we're trying to work out if we did have funding to run it every week. And thankfully we were. And so, you know, and spin run by the mothers is running very well. Um, the, the mothers and volunteers who run it have set up an Instagram page as well that I shared with my other colleagues. And it's actually good to see communities coming together. There are some other projects as well, but, you know, based along similar lines on on how we could go out in the community to help. In your area, how does this it's actually benefiting practices? Obviously, it sounds like it's benefiting patients, but do you see the benefits in your practice day to day from getting involved in initiatives like this? Certainly, it's the knowledge as well of the, of the services that are available. And usually in general practice, it just seems to be what I always believe is like a veil, things that we are doing medically, treating people, things that are happening at county council level, we're both oblivious of each other. Patients know that they have to come to us. We are the, we're the first point of care for them. We are accessible. We are available. Whereas before, I would hear what they were saying and felt quite helpless because I didn't know what I could do for them. If somebody elderly was lonely, 
I felt for them, I felt empathy, but I didn't know how I could find somebody, age concern, for example, somebody who could just come in, sit with them, or advise them to go to this particular place where, you know, they could be together, have some company. And actually, I learned that there is even a transport available to, to collect these people from their homes, take them to the hub, have, you know, some time together, have some social life, and not feel so isolated. It's not about me fixing everything, but actually connecting people together. You know, for example, in that deprived ward, people said if they had a bit of allotment area or something or to keep themselves busy. And then I saw something else that Gillian sent to me, which was growing Red Hill. And I contacted them and they helped plant trees in different stations, Red Hill, Mustam, Rygate, and I put the two together. You know, you help to do trees. They want them. Can you two talk to each other? Maybe you could help. And actually, I am probably using my position of having information to connect people for the benefit of the community. And what are some of the projects you've been involved with in your area, Gillian? So we know from our population health management data that we're seeing poorer health outcomes in some members of our community, including those with learning disabilities and the black and other minoritized ethnic communities. And so one project that I've been really excited to collaborate on is with a community group called the Africa Community in Surrey and Sussex. When I first met this group about a year ago, they were a very small group who were just starting to get going. And essentially, the founders of the group had experienced racism and all sorts of challenges coming to the UK and getting established with a young family. And they wanted to ensure that other people in a similar situation didn't experience the barriers that they had and they started to set up cultural events, so a book club, music, food sharing events, and suddenly their community grew and grew and grew. And now I believe it's several hundred members. And then they were listening to the needs of their members, and they identified that many people were not actually going to receive healthcare from the NHS because there were trust issues, and they wanted us to arrange outreach health checks. So we were able to do that. Then it was raised that many members of the group had sickle cell, disease and had not always experienced good care at the local hospital. The local hospital were really keen to then work with this group to try and improve care and outcomes in this group. The hospice then came and recognised that the black community were underrepresented among their patients taking up hospice care. So they're now interested in working with this group to try and improve knowledge about the services that are available. So this is just one small example of how reaching out, connecting and building trust with a group and allowing the group themselves to lead and identify their own health needs and how they want NHS and other partners to contribute can then create positive health outcomes in a number of different areas. So some of my colleagues were working as GPs supporting refugees and asylum seekers who are staying in hotels around Gatwick Airport. And it had become very, very clear early on that mental health was rapidly deteriorating in this population for all sorts of obvious and very clear reasons. It also became clear that traditional NHS services just weren't really cutting it. And the people living in the hotels were saying that they didn't just really want antidepressants and CBT. Through further conversations, we established that actually people living in the hotels had brought many skills from their home countries and very rich culture that they wanted to be able to share with one another. 
So we were able to collaborate with a partner called Surrey Arts, who are part of Surrey County Council, who have trauma-informed music tutors, who worked with the refugees, men, women, children of all ages, coming together, making music from lots of different cultures around the world. And the impact on mental health was tremendous. How important is it that you have sort of a buy-in for this approach? Do you, do you need everybody to get on board with this or, or can it still work if there's just a few enthusiastic people or do you, do you really need to get the whole practice on board, the whole PCN on board? Is it really important to get everybody enthused about all of this? I think it's important everyone buys in. I don't think we could do it in silos. It's got to be everyone. Obviously, being general practitioners at the core of it, we need some kind of medical basis as well. But I think it's important that we understand that it's not just other people's work in the local area that we're taking over. It's us bringing the two together so we are creating health if smoking is a problem we tackle it so it does not lead to problems relating to smoking we've already seen a decline in smoking from 18 percent to 11 percent in the last six months or so you know it just goes to show that active work that you go out to do would make such a big difference what are your thoughts on this Gillian? i think my perception is very subtly different because when i started out on this path I didn't have everybody thinking along these lines and PCNs didn't even exist actually when we first started having these discussions, neighborhoods went on the agenda and so on. So it felt like this was quite countercultural. But I would say for anybody listening to this who is interested, just start where you are. And even if you've just got one colleague or friend who can support you in it, start there. That's fantastic. And that is good enough. But I would say that as Tabs has just implied, once the entire health system was in support of this concept and it has spread then, throughout our PCNs and across our healthcare system, we can just achieve infinitely more together. And the neighbourhood working, um, which we're just developing at the moment, is going to increase that possibility still further. And it's incredibly exciting. Gillian, there's a lot of data in the NHS relating to population health management and identifying where perhaps efforts should be focused. How does the work you're doing fit in with all that data? It's quite straightforward. As it just happens, um, with the work that I've been leading in Holy Primary Care Network, we had the qualitative data insights from our population before we had the population health management data, just as it happens. And in fact, the population health management data just simply confirmed what we had been hearing from our population. But it also helped to underline how we were reaching out to the correct community groups who were experiencing health inequalities and who we needed to spend proportionately more time with and invest into to be able to overcome those issues. It can equally work in the other direction. For instance, population health management data insights might highlight that there is a particular group that perhaps the health service hasn't worked with before. And it would then suggest that somebody who had a bit of protected time should go out and spend some time with that community and work out what the issues are. Because often the data can tell you where the problem might be, but it does, it rarely brings the solutions. The solutions actually are in the community. And it's through making the connections that together you can find and harness them. Tabs, if there's anyone listening to this interested in doing something similar than to what you're doing in, in Surrey, where would you suggest they start? For me, the, one of the key lessons is creating health is the most important thing. You have to go for prevention before you go for treatment. And it's very straightforward and simple. It's, it's about 
reaching out to the community and finding out what are the barriers to access health, to maintain health and to prevent diseases. It's only 20% clinical. A lot of it is environmental. A lot of it is the factors that lead to deprivation that actually lead to ill health. I really think that the fact that you give these GPs time to go out and spend in their local communities in a way that most GPs just don't have that time to do that. I just think that just sounds like really important and potentially quite transformative. I mean, would you say that that is something that other people should be thinking about doing, Gillian? Personally, I do. I think it's impossible, actually, to build the connections that you need to at that neighbourhood or PCN level without having the time for the meetings. Impossible. And I think without the protected time, we will always revert to having the professional meetings within our silos and we'll miss that rich diversity of connecting with all of the actors who can create health. And I think that's been my biggest learning from this journey has been that there there are just so many people in our communities who can help one another to be healthy. And we mustn't forget the influence of our natural environment as well. That's also really critical to human health and well-being. And so I think if we are very siloed, we will continue to struggle to respond to the extent of diseases that are coming in through our door. But if we reach out, there is another world of possibility out there. It's a really great project. There's obviously lots of things that people could learn from this. I was very inspired by watching your YouTube video. I shall make sure I link to that. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks. Thank you, Emma, for having us. Thank you, Emma. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks to Gillian Tabasam and Richard for speaking with me. There are links to Growing Health Together's website and a video on YouTube that explains more about the work they're doing in the description for this episode. I'll be back next week with Nick for our regular news review, so please do join me then. In the meantime, don't forget you can find all the latest news affecting primary care and access a host of other resources on our website at gponline.com. 